Welcome to Stars Matter, a recruiting podcast from The Athletic. I'm Mitch Light, college football editor with The Athletic, and I'm joined by Ari Wasserman, our national recruiting writer at The Athletic. Ari, when we decided to do the show sometime this summer, planned recruiting, wanted to talk about recruiting, I don't think we ever could have envisioned a week like this when we have two of, two of the biggest coaching changes in this the sport has seen ever, and every coaching change affects recruiting, but I don't know if we've seen one like Lincoln Riley from Oklahoma to USC. No question, just talk. Talk about recruiting, Ari. Yeah, amazing. yeah. Well, I was thinking about it when I wrote the story about USC and Lincoln Riley. And the only comparable coaching shift from power to power was Jimbo Fisher from Florida State to A&M. And even that one seems like a stretch when compared to these two. Well, that was, like, a, that was a major move. No doubt about it. Two power programs. But Texas A&M was already recruiting well for the most part. Now it's been escalated. I, the, the, it just, that didn't affect – it took Jimbo Fisher like two or three years to start recruiting. I mean, A&M might win the recruiting crown this year. Right, right. But it wasn't an immediate impact. Like – the fact that, and I know USC's obviously gotten great players in the past, but just to me, this seems like this is like in college basketball. This is before your time, but like Larry Brown hires Danny Manning's dad to coach, and Danny Manning comes on board. We see that in college basketball, where where, where teams will hire kids' dad. This is like USC hiring someone's dad, except that that dad's already a great coach, and he has three sons who are five-star players in the same high school. Like this made sense on so many levels, and will impact two schools recruiting immensely right away. Yeah, I think that well, – let's just start with USC. Okay. The Urban Meyer rumors were always so juicy because when you think about USC as a program, you think about a California cool in-and-out version of college football with cool uniforms near the ocean, close to talent, and you – like to picture that every single kid in California or the West Coast views USC as the epitome of football. And you need a person to embody that image of what that university means to people who are old enough to remember when they were great last time. And Clay Helton, who was in charge before, I heard is like the nicest human being on the face of the earth. But he was devoid of the type of personality or at least rock star persona that you need in order to take... LA by storm. So when Urban Meyer came up, not that I ever believed that that was going to happen, I understood the sentiment of like why that would be perfect. Urban would go in, he'd already have a reputation, people would flock to play for him automatically because of that reputation, and then all of a sudden USC would be stacked with more talent than even even the more talented teams that they had in the Pac-12 the last few years couldn't compare to. And when I was thinking about it in college football with hires within reason, Name one other coach outside of Lincoln Riley that could have harnessed even 10% of that Urban Meyer feel. Like, I mean, like Lincoln Riley to me is like the number one young hotshot coach with a reputation of offensive firepower that like brings that superstar persona. I don't know that USC could have made a better hire just for that reason. He, he was perfect for the job, and like I just said, the fact that he was already recruiting so well in Southern California was just an added bonus. Let me throw out a name for you. Had he not already been the head coach at USC, could the current version of Lane Kiffin approach what Lincoln Riley's bringing? I don't think so. I don't. It, and we talked about this a couple I, weeks ago. Lane Kiffin's actually not recruiting as well as you would think he would be to Ole Miss. Lane Kiffin is an eccentric personality, but I think he's more like Mike Leach than he is like Urban Meyer. Like, And I don't think that Lincoln Riley is anywhere near Urban Meyer yet because he hasn't. But like, Lincoln Riley has a staunch reputation of winning and developing quarterbacks. So it's not just like like with Lane Kiffin, he's been fired multiple times. You know, he's failed or left jobs. He hasn't won a national championship. He hasn't That's been right, I mean, the, the more, the, more ma- the slightly more mature, this version we're seeing it of him. Yeah, but this, this version of, of what we're seeing now is finally winning for the first time, really, in his entire career. And this this two-loss Ole Miss team, like, his tremendous coaching job, and I believe that he'll get a job somewhere. But I think Lane Kiffin is more persona than he is accomplishments. And, like, Lincoln Riley is not nearly as big of a personality outwardly as Lane Kiffin is, but the fact of his reputation developing multiple Heisman Trophy winners 
landing quarterbacks at an unprecedented rate and taking Oklahoma to the playoff, was it three times? Like everything that comes along with what Lincoln Riley physically looks like and the age and the the way that he would represent that university is backed by testimony of accomplishment. So what do we know the most about what USC is or what's in Southern California? It's known for quarterback talent. You know, you listed them off in the story. I would encourage anybody that that's not a subscriber to The Athletic to go read that. But now, two days after Lincoln Riley takes the job, five-star quarterback in the 2023 class who was previously committed to Oklahoma, Malachi Nelson, flips to USC. And it's just like, here we go. There is a laundry list of of players that are going to be going to play at the school. You have the, like, USC is immediately cool again. And I think that doing that with a single hire, making them cool in, um, what, an hour? After they, they were like the, the cool place, name another hire that they could have gotten within reason that wasn't Nick Saban that could have done that. I agree. I agree. And to, to the point about quarterback, in the four, in, in the classes from 2000, and I'm scrolling to find the, the chart, from 2018 to 2022, uh, top 100 quarterbacks per state. California had 11. And that includes actually none in the 2022 class. Georgia had seven. Texas had seven. No one else had more than two. So that's top 100 quarterbacks per state, last four recruiting cycles. Again, California with 11, Georgia with seven, and Texas with seven. Um, so, yeah, let me ask you this. Over the next five years, will USC have a recruiting class ranked outside the top five? No. I don't know if this is even possible because we're two weeks, 14 days as we're recording this on Wednesday, December 1st away from the early signing period. But I think it's within reason that they will go from the sixties, wherever they are right now to the top 10 before this is all. Yeah. I'm completely on board with this. Like I think my, you're Mr. You hyperbole hot take. You overreact sometimes. I think I'm trying, usually I try to really, I don't feel like I have hot takes. I know that's actually, I explained to someone about you the other day. It's like, He's sort of a hot take guy, artist, but he believes everything. Like, nothing you say is for the sake of saying but it. You believe everything when you I say. View, when I view hot take, I view that as something that's unreasonable. Like, I don't feel like the things that I think or feel are unreasonable. Some of them like, are. Like, to me, to think, okay, well, next time I'm unreasonable, I want you to let okay. me know. But the idea that that college football recruiting is dominated by by a small sect of cool kid schools Alabama, Ohio State, Clemson, Georgia. They're like the fang stocks of college football. You know what fang stocks are? No. It's uh, the Facebook uh, Alphabet, which is Google, Amazon, Netflix, the big tech stocks. Point point being that I totally agree with all this. I think this is the, the, and you brought it up, Urban Meyer and Lincoln, Urban Meyer to Ohio State and Lincoln Riley to USC are the two biggest hires that affected recruiting. I guess you go back to Nick. And Urban Meyer wasn't even in college when he took that job. Right. Nick like Saban going from Oklahoma. obviously ended up doing it. At the yeah. time, though, we did not know how well Nick Saban was going to recruit to Alabama. But, the, but the, let me finish the point, okay. though. If there are only five schools that are recruiting at a high level, 66% of the top 100 players in the country went to those five schools last year. They're running the show in recruiting. I don't think it's hyperbolic in any sense of the realm to put USC in those five schools starting now. I agree. Whereas other other hires takes time, it takes building, it takes moderate improvement. Like Texas, A&M. I don't think Texas A&M is a normal trage- does, Texas yes. is a normal trajectory. A school that you can sit here and say they have everything they need to be at the cool kids table, and it took Jimbo Fisher two or three years, and he's finally there. This is not. Yeah, this is like the new kid showing up to school. Going to the lunchroom and saying, I want to With sit. With Trans Am yeah. back for your day, right? Yeah, exactly. Was that a cool car um, when you were in high school? Camaro. With the eagle on yeah, the I think Camaro. Camaro. Yeah, bitching Camaro. Van Halen playing? Yeah. Is that, am I yeah, Bon Jovi. I'm from New Jersey. Let's go Bon Jovi. Um, then it should be the, the boss yeah. if you're from Jersey. Yeah, so uh, like just going to the lunchroom saying, I'm sitting at that table right there, you, picking someone up and throwing yeah. them to a different table. That's what Lincoln Riley Because said. USC has all, like USC in Texas, and I don't know if we want to make this a Texas. You know what, guys, just so you know. 
so much shit is happening that like we're just gonna f- try yeah, to get there, to everything. We have a plan, but we're gonna be all over. And, and I'm expecting Oklahoma so, probably will name a coach during this show. So I want to ask you: Is if Lincoln Riley's coming in, and there's a lunch table with cool kids and some borderline cool kids, is Mario Cristobal the one he's picking up and moving to a different table? Like go go you know, go where do you, go back to your you know old table, you, Mario. You know how you always uh, edit me and like patronize me when I'm wrong about yeah. something. I have to t- I have to fix this. Okay. His name is Mario Crystal. Okay. Thank you. No, I am if, because you've said that a few times, yeah. and I understand that it's. But like I had. It's to just fix one it. of no. Thank you. It's one of those things like I know, but like I just it's in my brain that way. So even though I can watch on TV and I hear him talk, hear hear him talk yeah. about, I just I, I will say it wrong. Next time, I'm sure too. Yes. Yeah, so this is this has a lot of tentacles, though. You're right about this. Like USC, there's not a single recruiting doesn't happen in a vacuum. It affects. Yeah. Well, the, the point I was going to make before we got to Mario was that Texas. Everybody knows who listens to the Andy Staples show, and when I've had my appearances on there the last few years, knows that I've been a firm believer that Texas has a higher ceiling than Oklahoma, which I think is a different discussion. Now that this is completely shifted, which we'll get to in the future. But Texas and USC to me were very similar jobs. Cool places to live, historical brand name, cool uniforms, support from administration, and of course, located near talent. Only one of those programs hired a proven winner with an awesome reputation, and that was USC. It's like if Lincoln Riley would have gone to Texas, which never would have happened because it was a rival, but that would have instantly legitimized Texas the same way that it it's USC, USC's brand and, and resources in conjunction with what Lincoln Riley's resume and reputation brings. Texas hired a coach that has no proven track record of winning anywhere in the past and has been fired or left multiple jobs without achieving success. Has any coach ever had three better jobs without getting winning big? No. Washington, USC, and Texas are three amazing jobs. Go ahead. Yes, yes, that's correct. And like when you look at the difference between one school and the other, it's like, well, who do you think got the better hire here? And it's just like if that and I'm not saying that Texas could have gotten Lincoln, but the thing that is most fascinating to me is that every single person, whenever we talk about firing a coach or moving on from a coach, will be like, in the, especially in this cycle of the coaching carousel, well, who are they going to get? Well, apparently it's just go poach another coach from a Power 5 program. So, like, to me, I don't know if you want to, like, list all the players that USC is going to be um, in on when it comes to, like, the next two classes. I, like, made a list of it last night. Um, go ahead. They lost three or four commitments on Tuesday, but borderline prospects that might not have had a spot. They've only had five prospects committed in the 2022 class when Wednesday morning started. But we're talking like Domani Jackson, who put them in their five-star cornerback from Matter Day, who put him in the USC in the final two with Bama. Who, who you've had at Alabama for weeks. Yeah, I mean, you know, C.J. Williams is committed to Notre Dame. That's going to be interesting The Branch right Brothers yeah. uh, from Las Vegas Gorman. Um, who am I? There's a million of them. Uh, Ernest Green. Right, offensive lineman. You know, all the kids that were committed from Los Alamitos – to Oklahoma in conjunction with uh, Malachi Nelson, who are coming, like Makai Lemon. Like, these are all guys. Like, you could list 10 top 100 players right now that are probably going to end up at USC in this class and next year's class. And next year's class at USC, like Lincoln Riley, when he was still at Oklahoma, had a 2023 class committed with a bunch of California prospects that was on pace to win the recruiting crown in the 2023 cycle that is now just going to be USC's class. Like, everybody from that class is just going to go to USC now. So it's like USC already has the best class in America in 2023, and those kids haven't even committed yet. So, like, USC is in the playoff, I think, in three years tops and probably less because that that program in that conference can't be competed with. So that this will be perfect to go to the crystal ball part. I don't know that Mario Cristobal should just leave Oregon. That's way too dramatic, and they've done a very good job of recruiting nationally. You know, Oregon's class isn't as good as it was a year ago, but last year's class was the best pro was the best class in program history. And they're one five star this year from Texas too. The thing I will say now, yeah, from the Houston area, yeah. is that Oregon's number one recruiting territory is understandably California. 
his job just got a lot harder. Not only just from the recruiting standpoint, but USC is going to be far and away the most talented team in that conference. It is going to be and it'll be well coached too. for USC. Yes, especially offensively. We'll see what happens defensively. But like Relic Brown, that five-star running back, is probably going to flip from Oklahoma to twenty. I didn't even like their names. I didn't even mention. USC will have more talent than anybody in the conference by tenfold. And Oregon is the only exception. And the thing I will say now is that it'll be infinitely easier for USC to get it. Like these guys are going to be automatic. This this is going to be like a huge thing for them because they're going to get five to seven to 10 to 12 top hundred prospects out of California every year. And then Lincoln Riley is going to be able to use his reputation in Texas and the big 12 to recruit nationally. This team is going to win a national championship in the next six. Okay. Maybe winning is, is too far because winning it is really hard. They will be in the playoff in the next three years. Guaranteed. I'll bet anything three years. So I'm maybe even two. Okay. Well, like, they're going to make an immediate splash in 2022, but they, most of those, a lot of those guys you mentioned are 23 guys. So we're not talking about yeah. they, they will be true sophomores in three years. So I'm on board with everything you're saying, but I might... I think they're going to finish big in this I class. Might rate, That's why I'm saying Yeah, it. I might change that window to four years, but I totally see it. And the thing that separates Lincoln Riley from some other coaches who make big splashes... Like what's going on in Oregon and A and M. I know Jimbo's won at, at Florida State, but is he's I can't say he's more proven than Jimbo, obviously, because Jimbo won a national championship. But but Oregon has yet to kick that door down. Despite the recruiting classes, and we you've said we keep making the point, their top recruiting classes, those guys are still young. So like next year is the year in which we you can say, Okay, Oregon has this roster. Why aren't they winning big right away? Um But I, I think that for as complimentary as we've been to Oregon, I think they signed 10 top 150 players last year. USC's class is going to be infinitely like USC's classes are going to be like Alabama and Georgia's Oregon's class is good. It's not like those. So there's going to be a gap between those two teams in the PAC 12. No doubt about it. Yeah. Like I, I think that USC is, if I had to buy stock in every program in America right now, I would buy stock in USC over everybody. Like I'm not, I don't even know if I'm like overshooting it. You can't buy stock in Alabama because it's already at its all time high. So this is investment talk a little bit. Yeah. But like the best investment in college football right now, I still like where USC. I mean, I still like where Georgia's at, obviously. Yeah. But as far as making a move and proving their 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 place in the college football food chain, it's it's definitely going to be USC. This will be the first time in the college football playoff era since the beginning of of when Oregon was really good in fourteen. But even then, we're much less talented than the Ohio State team that blew their doors off in the national title, that there will be a team built like an SEC team in the Pac-12. Put aside In three years, it'll be the first time. Put aside the, the argument, the, the money part of it, where you know we can all kind of roll our eyes or say the money these coaches are making probably is not good for college football. But the fact that USC is going to be a national power is very good for college football. Don't you agree? Is, is, have they like released the numbers yet for Riley's salary? Well, it's private school, so so we're never gonna know. Uh, I mean, I'm sure it'll sort of get out there, but I don't, I don't think it's official. I mean, I don't think anything would would be official. Okay. Let's because I would I don't know how much money they paid him, but it was it, it fifteen million a year would be enough. Well, well some of the talk I mean, it would be worth it. I don't know if you saw these tweets last night. That early, someone tweeted, and of course, because what happens, it gets retweeted and taken as fact. The fact that like USC was buying his house in Norman and all that. And that, that was erroneous. Like a lot of those extra perks that you saw there were, were, were not true. All right. Well, I'm sure we'll get back to Riley and USC because everything worth. But I do think to answer your question, Mitch, that it is going to be awesome. Yeah. I think it's good that there will be a, like if you look at every conference, you have Clemson and the ACC, you've got Ohio state in the big 10, Alabama and Georgia and Texas A&M to a certain extent. You had Texas and Oklahoma in the big 12. This is the first time now that, the Pac-12 is going to have a legitimate national power in its conference until the expansion of whatever, and then the Big 12 is left for not. But the Pac-12 hasn't had a sexy national brand uh, that could carry its water. You know, they had one-off years from Oregon and Washington and stuff, but, like, this brand is going to be here to stay. And, like, honestly, Mitch, I know people are, like, mad at Lincoln Riley and Oklahoma fans are hurt, but it's like, to me, it's the perfect move for a coach. Live in California, 
make a boatload of undisclosed money, uh, go to a program that doesn't have anybody. He's going to have to disclose it to the IRS. We just don't know it. Yes. The way you phrased it. Show us your returns. (laughs) If he ever runs for president, we'll see if we can get it. But (laughs) the path to the playoff is easier. The talent recruiting is easier. It's more close to you. I mean, there's no reason why anybody, why wouldn't you do that? Like I, people are stunned by this, but like I don't understand why they would be. This is the most obvious, brilliant coaching decision I think a person could have made. And, and if if it does what you kind of written, and we all know about the Big Ten and Urban Meyer, how what they did elevated the rest of the league's recruiting. I've always said the Pac-12, we can make fun of it, but it, it's, it's a league with a lot of potential. Because if USC is going to be back to where it is, living up to potential, we we know what how Oregon's recruiting. I still think Washington is a program with a ton of potential that has uh, they made the playoff and they were they were very good under Chris Peterson. We'll we'll, we'll see what Kalen DeBoer can do there. But if Utah is a solid top fifteen, top ten program, I think that this is uh, it's good for college football. It's obviously good for the Pac twelve, but I think this could be even better for the Pac twelve if if some of these other I don't want to call them second tier. Some of these other programs elevate their stock even more i i, I just think the pac-12 the could thing be, about the pac-12 could be really that fun. i think is really difficult to wrap my head around and i guess this could be like a good off-season story to try to work on but because ohio state georgia alabama and clemson are in california now usc is going to you know take a, a larger share of the california kids but i'm wondering now in a national world if california has enough talent and we talked about this a little bit last week about the diminishing returns of california has enough talent to prop up the entire conference anymore. Devil's advocate there. Maybe more kids will want to stay home because USC is better, because the league is getting better. So that kid who's going to stay home, but like, does that go mean to California? Washington? Is go it to California Oregon. kid staying home? Stay, just staying in the Pac 12 footprint. So we're maybe some kid, because the Pac 12 has been such a non factor, no team makes the playoff. It's kind of fashionable for these top players to go outside, to go to the Big Ten, to go to the SEC. Well, if USC is a top five program, that gives more notoriety to the league. Utah, Washington, if those programs take a step forward, I think more kids will stay in the Pac-12 footprint because the league will get better and it'll be start to be cool to stay home in that footprint. There isn't a single Pac-12 team that isn't Oregon or USC that could ever win a recruiting battle head-to-head with Alabama. And even then, Oregon... You don't need to win a recruiting battle to, to Alabama against Alabama to, to to sign a really good player who's going to help the team and help the league, though, too. I mean, there, there's... you. There isn't another team in the entire Pac-12 that can win a recruiting battle head-to-head against Ohio State, Clemson, and Georgia. Like, I think that the top-tier talent... Okay, let's say let's say the Matt Corral's going, going to, to Ole Miss. The, the, maybe not the kids that are going to Alabama, Ohio State. Maybe those... The the the, the group right below that who are, go, who are leaving the top... Hundred to two hundred fifty kids, or two hundred to three hundred kids. I feel like most of those kids are staying in the Pac-12 footprint as we speak. I'm talking about the elite players at the top of the list. Like if you look at if you look at the top twenty, the top players that have committed in the 2022 class. Number two, Relique Brown was going to Oklahoma before this craziness. Uh, McMillan um, from Anaheim, four-star receiver, Oregon. Then you've got C.J. Williams, Notre Dame. A few other Notre Dames. You've got Michigan State in there. You've got Notre Dame again. But then when you start getting down into the list of, of players that are in the top like 150, then you got a bunch of UCLA, Arizona, Oregon State. You know, like I, I don't I don't know that's ever the case, but let's go back to 2021 when that class was complete. Three of the or four of the f- top six. Sorry, five of the top six players. In the state, oh, God, I'm looking at the wrong thing. I'm sorry. Get, just bear with me. I always do, Ari. Um, the top three players in the 2021 class stayed in the Pac-12. So, you know, maybe they're already doing that. USC and Oregon. But the highest rated player um, in the Pac-12, that stayed in the Pac-12 footprint, was a kid from uh, Utah, uh, Westlake Village, California, top 100 player, went to Utah. But other than that, all you see really for the most part is USC and Oregon. There aren't a lot of Pac-12 logos in the top tier areas of California. Not even Cal, not even Right, UCLA. but my point is as the league elevates in the next few years, it will be cool to stay in the Pac-12. I want to go play at USC. No, but it's not going to be cool to go to Utah. 
Is that going to be cool to go to Washington, Washington could be State? Cool to go to Wa- it could be cool to go to Arizona State. Why yeah. do you think kids sign in the SEC? Why do you think Matt Corral goes to Ole Miss? Because he wants to play Alabama. He wants to play Georgia. That's The SEC schools all recruit so well because everyone wants to play in those stadiums against those elite teams and knock those teams off. Yeah, well, if that happens and that occurs, that means that it would have to be seven or eight years on the line from now because then it would be USC as established as that. As that, but everyone's you know. talking about USC right now. There's buzz at USC. Sure and there's too buzz at the Pac-12. In California, you have to get on an airplane if you're in LA to go to Oregon and Washington, and some people would even get an airplane to go up to the Bay Area. So it's just. If you have to get on an airplane to fly to Washington or Seattle from L.A., you might as well fly to Texas, you know? But if you live in It'll Seattle, you've how, got games. It's like, I don't know. Do you think Lincoln Riley is going to be the thing that props up the entire Pac-12? I mean, I guess so. But the reason why Urban Meyer caused everyone's standard to go up isn't because all of a sudden kids thought playing in the Big Ten was cool. It was because the rest of the conference had no choice but to invest in their recruiting and their coaches and their infrastructure in order to compete with Ohio State or they were going to get buried. So that's what I hope happens. I hope that that recruiting and the investments from the other programs feel like it's like now or never to, to do that because you can't just get buried and be competitive, you know? Yep. All right. Let's – we'll probably come back to this because everything affects everything else. But the other enormous coaching move last couple of days, Brian Kelly from Notre Dame to LSU, which to me was more surprising when it happened. Lincoln Riley, I was like, that's surprising, but it totally makes sense for all the reasons we've talked about. I was shocked when when Brian Kelly, you know, whenever it broke. I don't, you know, LSU's a team that's, I've got it right here, that recruits, you know, in the top five, their, their classes starting in 21 going back, number three, number four, number five, 15, seven, two, five, two, last eight years. So it's not like Brian Kelly was hired to recruit. He was hired to, to maintain that recruiting and to win, to win a national championship. So Brody Miller, our LSU writer, literally just tweeted this as we were talking like 20 minutes ago. Kelly was asked if losses in the college football playoff played a part and decided to come to the uh, SEC or LSU, and he responded, losing spurs me towards winning, so no. I don't believe him. <laughs> I, I mean, like part of it, I mean, I think part of it is money, okay, and we don't know how much money he was making at Notre Dame because that's a private school too, right? I think it was up but seven the, with, the, with everything. The rumors were that he was going to be making 15 mil a year, and those weren't true. So he did get a raise, no question about it, but I don't know that the money was a huge, huge factor from somebody who's already made as much as he has. And here's the thing I, I said, the 2022 cycle for Notre Dame. Notre Dame's class in that cycle, which currently ranks number four nationally in 24-7 sports composite has only two top 100 players. In the same class, this 2022 class, the state of Louisiana has seven top 100 players. The access to players and the amount of talent that you will have on your roster at LSU is the type of place that you can build a legit national championship contender. And I know there are Notre Dame fans who are probably listening to this who resent the idea that they could not win one, but Notre Dame is not and has not been built to beat Alabama from a pure talent standpoint. LSU has a harder path, no question about it. They've got to play Alabama in the regular season and win an SEC championship. But in a world of the expanded playoff, LSU is much easier place to build a legit national championship contender. And I don't mean just a contender by making the playoff. I mean like a team that can win two or three playoff games in a row. It's infinitely easier to do that at LSU. So more money, new challenge, less academic restrictions, more fertile recruiting territory. LSU keeps kids home easier than any other pro. I mean, we've talked about this a million times. Kids in Louisiana go to LSU. So to me, it makes a lot of sense. Get paid more, reset your clock, start over, and do the one thing that you probably feel like you might not have been able to at Notre Dame, which is win a national championship. And I mean, isn't that, isn't that the whole thing? Or is that a hot take? No, not a hot take at all. Uh, the okay. only thing, the elephant in the room is leaving his team that, is ranked what were they ranked six last night and and could be playing the college football playoff. That's that's a topic we could talk about, but we're we're really talking recruiting here. So well, they're not going to go to the playoff this year, so it doesn't matter. And also, this is a recruiting discussion. Notre Dame this year is not equipped to win a national championship. Right, he has. Not, he knows I, I, that I, he gets paid eight million dollars a year to know that. I, I do want to say, I mean, Notre Dame has recruited very well 
he has elevated Notre Dame's recruiting in the last five years. No, elevated him to the point where they can be a consistent college football player, a consistent top eight team where they're going to make the playoffs some year. They're going to be right on the doorstep. But as you just said, they're not built. They're not good enough to win a national championship. Like, like you, you can – hold on. You can win – if you're Notre Dame and, and you get to the playoffs, you can – occasionally pull off one upset and beat a team that's much more talented than you. But winning... Not when you're playing Bama. But I'm saying winning two in a row is, I'm not yeah. going to say impossible. It's very, very difficult. So that's that's so the difference. This year has been really hard on me personally because this playoff right now is filled with a bunch of teams that aren't built to win a national championship and Georgia. So like if a team that isn't in the top 10 of the composite rankings win a national championship, I will be dumbfounded. Like I will be abs. I would. You need like, Georgia. Asked me that a month ago. You need Georgia to like, win. You need Alabama to win. If Georgia beats Bama this weekend, there is nobody else in the college football playoff that can physically beat Georgia. Like if Michigan wins a national championship this year, that would be the by far the worst team to win a national championship in the history of the college football playoff rankings, and probably the history of like the modern day sport. Like these teams that are going to the playoff this year are not very good in comparison to previous champions. And I don't know what the reason for that is. Is it because that college football is just stacked with mediocrity at the quarterback position this year? Like the the blue blood programs don't have the quarterbacks. Like there was no Deshaun Watson at Clemson this year. Ohio State didn't have Justin Fields. You know, yeah, yeah. Bryce I mean, Young yeah, is young. We we've like, seen these great rosters like of these superpowers be elevated even more. By those all-American quarterbacks. So now what we're seeing are just good rosters like at Clemson. That's still a very good roster. They're playing good football, but they haven't gotten that elite quarterback player, which they got basically for like six of the previous seven years. And Alabama is getting that. Now, You, why aren't they as good? They're still very good. They're, what, number three in the country right now. Their offensive line's not near, not clearly not as good. They're down to one running back. So things happen to programs. Ohio State's very talented, but They've had some recruiting misses on defense, and they got run over by Michigan. Obviously, that's why the that's why they play the game. But I, you know, Michigan is Michigan's very very good, and you know, to call them the worst team, it might be accurate from a talent standpoint. But if you watch that Michigan, they're a very good team. I'm not saying they're not a good team. I'm saying they can't hold the jockstrap of the previous six national champions. LSU would the 2019 LSU team would beat them by 30. Last year's Alabama team would beat them by 30. Like. This team is not nearly good enough to be compared to the they are this is a very peculiar year that none of the powers have built a monster. And the only team that has a monster right now is Georgia. So like to me, like Georgia is probably a very steep favorite to win the national championship this year because if Georgia plays Cincinnati in the first round, they're going to kick Cincinnati's ass. And then whoever they beat play in the in the championship game, they're probably going to kick their ass. Who like how much better is Michigan than the fifth or fourth best team in the SEC right now. From a talent standpoint. From a, uh, from a team standpoint, they're quite a bit better. They're the, they're 17th in the talent composite rankings right now in this, this year's cycle. So there are 16 teams right now that are built better than they are. Now, this is the interesting thing. When you look at the composite rankings, number one is Georgia, the most talent in college football. Number two is Alabama, so they're playing this weekend, and you know we'll see what happens. Ohio State lost two games, defensive misses. We all know the score. Clemson sucks in comparison to what Clemson is. Texas sucks at five. LSU sucks at six. Florida sucks at seven. <laughs> Notre Dame is okay. Oklahoma at at eight, or and Oklahoma at nine sucks. USC at ten sucks. Texas A and M at eleven sucks. <laughs> Oregon at 12 sucks. Penn State at 13 sucks. Auburn at 14 sucks. Tennessee at 15 sucks. 16, Florida State sucks. And 17 is Michigan. It is the oddest year in the history of the sport. Who would you hire at Notre Dame? I don't know. Like, like I like I like both options. Three options. I, if like, it, who are the, what are the three? Campbell, Fickle, and who? Marcus Freeman. Oh, is Marcus Freeman legitimately a candidate, or do people just think he's a really good defensive? I, th- no, I, think, I think that he. Is, I think he's a legitimate candidate. I think he is too soon to be the candidate. Why would you hire Marcus Freeman over his old boss, who's going to the playoff this year with a Group of Five team? It makes no sense. 
Yeah, I would I would hire Luke Fickle. Like Marcus Freeman would be the third pick. I don't know if he's ready to be a head coach at Notre Dame yet. And that's no offense to him. He might be the greatest future coach of all time. He doesn't have the resume to be the head coach at Notre Dame right now, especially when compared to other programs or other coaches that have have built. Okay, it. you you made you made a <laughs> when someone noted someone tweeted that Notre Dame would be willing to wait for Luke Fickle to finish out the season. You tweeted, "Oh, that's that doesn't matter. Recruiting's not important anyway." It's not. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's obviously not a very I, this early signing period. And if you want to spend five minutes on this, it's part of the it's problem. A disaster. Yes, it's yeah, yeah. I mean, like, what are they supposed to like? What are people? When it, this this is historically when people get hired and fired. This isn't like a new problem. Obviously, there's more high profile jobs open this year than we anticipated, but this happens with crappy schools all the time. So now because it's happening at bigger programs, it's a problem. It's always been a problem. This was the reason why people didn't want to do it in the first place. I honestly don't know, like, on, like if we're being honest, what is the um, benefit of it? It's good for the players. Save some money. Why? They can lock up their spot earlier. I think... I'm not. Oh, I'm not in favor. Months, I think three months is a huge difference for their spot. I think when I first heard of an early signing period years ago, when they, I thought they were talking late August, like in college basketball, you can sign before your yeah, senior you season, want to do an early signing, yes. or you can sign after. It's Most, just like a weird speed bump on a street with a sixty mile an hour right. speed. Right. I don't like it. I again, if they had one in August, I think it would be fine. All all the early signing period has done is pressured coaches pressuring kids to sign earlier than they're ready to. Right, and it's or they're going to lose their spot. It's caused some of this chaos with schools firing coaches earlier, and 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 and, and the, the the classes signed by these first time coaches are usually a disaster because they're taking a bunch of kids from the previous staff that they don't know very well, and probably wouldn't have recruited, or they're running a bunch of kids off and trying to have a matter of a week to to find some new kids. So, um, but you didn't answer the question. What was the question? about Notre Dame? I would hire Fickle. Okay. Because Fickle um, has proven that he can build a really good team, but also I admire his um, ability to scout talent in the general area that Notre Dame will have to focus on um, that might be under the radar type guys. I don't know if Luke Fickle is going to all of a sudden be equipped to go win recruiting battles against Alabama and Georgia, which is what Notre Dame probably has to do to get to the point where they're winning a national championship. And part of the reason why I believe that Brian Kelly left because they have other obstacles in their way, like weirdly high academic standards and being a private Catholic college that has an environment that doesn't suit everybody. And you might not just, and they have to recruit nationally 100% of the time because there's no talent in Indiana. Like, I feel like that's a really hard place to win a national championship. But none of the candidates right now have proven they can win a recruiting battle with a top five program but anyway. Luke Fickle has so, recruited above his program's weight, though. Like, they're, they're getting... Sure. So is so is Matt Campbell. Yeah, but as a group, I, I would say, wouldn't you say um, that Fickle has out-recruited his school's place in the food chain more than like Matt Campbell's still at a big 12 school. Fickle has got a top 40 club. Yeah, you know, I mean, he, I could look at the numbers, but he's consistently, they, they are consistently the top group of five school. Everyone thinks we talked about this a couple of weeks ago with the new big 12 schools. You would think that central, that UCF and Houston would have this great recruiting advantage because of the location. Cincinnati has been the best group of five recruiting school. And it's, Partly because yeah, they're in the top thirty right now. Yeah, so. it's partly because they're they, they, there's there's an infrastructure there. There's something about Cincinnati football that they just win. Multiple coaches have won there. Now he's elevated it, um, but they are recruiting better than schools that have much better geography than them. And I think that's that would be attractive to Notre Dame. He's gone into Florida. He's gone into Georgia, which you have to do. Yeah, yeah. I I, I don't think there are a lot of places that are just going to get a ready-made coach with the experience to recruit at a high level um, right out of the gate. Like the Lincoln Riley thing is atypical. So no matter who you hire, whether you're Florida, whether you're Notre Dame, you going into the group of five or going to, a, you're going to have to hire a coach that is going to be asked to do something that he hasn't been asked to do yet. And that is a tricky scenario. So to me, I would feel most comfortable with Luke Fickle because his teams are 
are punching up in their weight, like you said, in the recruiting rankings. And also, Matt Campbell's team took a major step back this year. Like, they're not as good as right. they were. And they're losing their quarterback. Did you just send you a know? tweet out while we're talking? I'm looking at my, Yeah. Because why don't you concentrate yeah. on, this, on this podcast? I want people to sign up for our website. I think you should uh, like appreciate that about me. I want you to concentrate on the Why podcast. Why are you looking at Twitter? How is that any different? Because I'm sitting back while you're talking. I'm looking at you on Zoom. And then my, 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 my big screen, I've got uh, my tweet deck open. And I see Ari Wasserman. I was like, I know that guy. I'm talking to him right yeah. now. Yeah. So, uh, all right. One thing that in normally would be we'd be talking about even more if this was like not the craziest week ever what's going on at TCU and SMU. Like, I think Sonny Dykes, and I know SMU is a group of five school, but Sonny Dykes going from SMU to TCU. Was like, we talked about this in our editor's channel on uh, and Slack about, and those two schools are rivals. Like, when has that ever happened? Like, a coach leaving a rival for another school. Like, David McWilliams was a Texas assistant, played at Texas, went to Texas Tech as the head coach in, like, the 80s for one year, then left Texas Tech to go to Texas. But those, they're rivals because they're in the same state and then they were in the same league. But those aren't direct rivals in the same, basically the same city as TCU and SMU. So it's just crazy to me that he's making that move and doing it at a time when SMU was just on an all, SMU was recruiting like they were in the, uh, you know, Eric Dickerson in, in, the, in, in, in given cash away days. They were on the verge of signing an elite class this year for, for a group of five and next year. Now it's completely blown up in Oklahoma fashion. How legit is TCU's rivalry with SMU? Well, I, it got escalated like, this it, year is it, with all the, it all the shit that went for on. Sure, yeah. but like I'm saying, like what what is like is Ella is, is do SMU and TCU play every year? Yes. No matter what, yeah, what like, they play, the like, last like the twenty years, or something like that. Yeah, I don't know. I never really thought about it as you, a rivalry wait, because you they are didn't play the you same. are the, this podcast Dallas correspondent. You live there. You you feet on the ground. Yeah, I'm still learning about Texas football. Um, I was born in Dallas. I. Didn't, it's not like I don't view what he did like as Ohio State's coach going to play at Michigan or coach at Michigan or right, but that because that never coach happens. Going to Oklahoma, like you never that never happens. So this is. But would you say that this is on par with those rivalries? No, definitely not on par. But it's still. I mean, I think that Sonny Dykes was probably annoyed that the Big Twelve didn't invite SMU for its membership, got a raise to go to another school that's in the same city that he could recruit very well. And went to a place that's a bigger school with a chance that he thinks to to, to make a playoff spot. Yes, and of like course. I don't know if that's about money or if it's about you know program support, but I think you can make the case that SMU has an easier path to the playoff now than TCU does. So it's a very interesting dynamic. They play every year. I'm looking. Okay. Yeah, and all the way back, and then the, you know they were obviously in the same league, going back to the Southwest Conference days. So. Yeah, it's just – it's a bold move. I mean, it's the right move if you're just from a career standpoint. As far as pissing people off, it's a bold move. Um, and he'd really – And the two the two top 200 players that were fringe top 100 players, teammates at Garland High School in the Dallas area, um, Jordan Hudson and Chase Biddle, both are on their – like one committed. Hudson committed to TCU already and Biddle hey, – Biddle's is, looking around a little bit. Looking around a little bit more, but also has crystal balls to TCU. So but he then, like took their two two most right. important commitments. And then twenty twenty three four star wide receiver Cordell Russell had been committed to SMU and is now committed to TCU as well. So, um, I mean that's huge because if, if 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 they can recruit, what's his assistant Rashad Samples? I think his name is that he brought with mm-hmm. him. If he can, if they can recruit. Like who will be a head coach? Like as, as as well as SMU is recruiting relative to its league in the new reformed Big Twelve. On paper, it was already one of the better programs in the new league. Once o- Oklahoma and Texas leave, they've got the potential to to be a you know the, not not run the league by any stretch, but to be a team that competes for a league championship every year. You know they're going to be good offensively. They're going to continue to get good quarterbacks because of what what, what Dykes has done at SMU and his reputation. So, um, great move. Great move for TCU, but I just I, that struck me as very not, – not strange. I mean, I understand why he did it. You know what it struck me? If you want to stay in the same area of the country, 
Have you seen the foundation and the building blocks of an entire program fall apart faster than Oklahoma this week? I'm not saying that they're not going to be good ever again, but that was like right. They, they've got they've got they got destroyed. They've got decades of success to build to 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 kind of rely on to build back relatively quickly when they get a new coach. But yes, I mean the amount of the amount of good players or great elite players that were headed their way that are no longer headed their way is staggering. And, and all the players that are thinking about leaving the program that are in it already. Right. And who's who's your guy? I don't know. That's, I was on a radio show yesterday and they asked about the coach. There's just no natural I mean, Brent Venables. Does that excite you? I think it does. Okay. I mean, Venables has been He got fired at Oklahoma as defensive coordinator. He reinvented himself at uh at Clemson. He's one of the most, I mean, he's obviously one of the most respected coordinators, but he's also coordinating some really, really good players at Clemson too. But you're doing, you're doing that thing again where and I have a everybody thing. does that. No, just the thing right now of like, who are they going to get? No, I'm not just like, that's, I, I was going to say that earlier. Why don't you go hire somebody? I was going to say that earlier. I've never subscribed at any level to the don't fire this coach because who are you going to get? Who are they like, going to get? Wanna, yeah, I think that's stupid. If, if you want to make a move, make a move and then go find someone better. If not, tough, tough shit. So, like, I'm not saying, first of all, Oklahoma did not, they're not in this predicament because they got rid of their coach. They're in this predicament because their coach left. Because they have to. Yeah, yeah. like, there's just not a, not that there needs to be a fit like someone who's an assistant there, but like Luke Fickle has never been at Notre Dame, but he's a great fit there. Matt Campbell's never been at Notre Dame. He's a really good fit there. It just does not seem to be that fit at Oklahoma. Oh, I wanted to say, yeah, well, well, we'll get back to this, I guess, but who are the best coaches in college football? Nick Saban, can't touch him, right? Dabo Sweeney, Wait, you, you I'm broke up for a minute there. Start touched. over again. Nick Saban. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, Jimbo Fisher. Kirby Smart. Kirby Smart. Lincoln Riley. Ryan Day, maybe. Lincoln Riley. Jim Harbaugh, all of a sudden. I don't know. Like, there isn't a lot of Lincoln Riley type type guys out well, there. Well, we've learned there's, so I don't there's two sure things in college football over the last 20 years. Nick Saban and Urban Meyer. Would you agree? Like, they, you hire, they, they go to any program they're going to win. Jim Harbaugh was supposed to right. be a sure thing and that, that I mean, I, I would say that he overstayed his welcome until this happened last week and maybe that they were right for sticking well, like with if, him. If, if Jim Harbaugh went to but Virginia Tech. Scott Frost was supposed to be a, a the, no-brainer right, the and there's too. just You can't yeah. guarantee, like, if... Jim Harbaugh went to Virginia Tech. They'd probably be really good, but I don't know if they would like win ACC crowns titles every year. If Urban Meyer and Nick Saban went to Virginia Tech, they're winning the ACC. That's kind of my point. And there's no one else out I just, there. Yeah, I just don't know if there's anybody out there to even poach if you're Oklahoma. So, you know, Campbell? I'm very interested. To, like Brent Venable seems to be the best name brand. And if you and a name brand might be what you need in order to inspire hope into your, but it would be very interesting to me if Oklahoma hired a defensive-minded coach. Their last two coaches have been very successful. Were had no head coaching experience, but that doesn't mean you go that route yeah. again. Yeah, or just hire Bob Stoops again. And let him run, let him run it back a little bit. Yeah, I well that transition like Mark Stoops was a guy that I thought in that that maybe there was some talk LSU, obviously the connection the Stoops brother to Kentucky. He resigns at Kentucky. Great for them. Now, if you know, I think you, I think you wrote about it in today's story, I'll uh, tease sort of like a recruiting catch up. If they can keep Keontae Goodwin, top the uh five-star offensive lineman who has, keeps visiting other places. I mean, this is a great sign for Kentucky because they I think there's some questions in your mailbag that you didn't answer and I, I wrote down some I didn't, but one of them was uh here's one. What programs have changed their recruiting fortunes after multiple years under the same head coach? Michigan has the chance to start turning the talent around, you know, if they can get some of these guys. Clemson's one, right? Clemson has elevated its recruiting fortunes under its current coach. I'd say Kentucky is another. Obviously, Kentucky's not recruiting at the level of some of these other schools, but they've gone from a recruiting top 500, 600 guys to the top 300 guys, a five-star here and there, keeping kids in state. So Mark Stoops and that staff has done as good a job as any program is elevating itself. Just keep building over year over year. That's right. I don't know. I think Mark, first of all, Mark Stoops has the best job in college football. 
and he's just uh, playing chess while everybody else is playing checkers. I'm happy for him. He just signed an extension. But Mark Stoops is not somebody who has experience doing what Oklahoma needs their coach to do. Yeah, just Brent Venables. At least Mark Stoops has been a head coach. Brent Venables lives in an environment every single day that attracts top talent every single not the head coach from though. all over the country. I know, but I would be more comfortable with hiring somebody. If I needed to do what Oklahoma needs to do on the recruiting trail, I'd be more comfortable hiring somebody who lives in an environment and coaches in an environment where recruiting at that level is the standard and is met. So they know what it takes to recruit at that standard are indoctrinated into that devil's, lifestyle. Devil's advocate. Understanding. I'd be more comfortable hiring a guy who's doing what he's doing at Kentucky, knowing the history of that program. But what you're doing at Kentucky is not – he'll get a statue at Kentucky. He'll get fired at Oklahoma for those results. But he'll recruit better at Oklahoma because he's got a different product to sell. I disagree with that. Like Dan Mullen is the perfect example of that. That's, that's one example of it not working out. Yeah, but Mark Stoops, I, Mark scares Stoops, the shit out. Of he me. lives and dies recruiting. Like he tweets out going going big game hunting. I'm going out to get going out to to, to find some new. Yeah, maybe Wildcats. it's not fair to Mark Stoops yeah. to be worried about it. When, I'm when just has Dan Mullen ever done that? There. Dan, so I, I think there's this. All I'll just say is Dan Mullen Every did not succeed. You can't say Mark Stoops wouldn't succeed. I'm not. I don't know. Why who, do you hate listen, Mark Stoops? Dude, we don't. We don't know. I love Mark I, Stoops. <laughs> He was a defensive coordinator at Arizona when I was a student oh, newspaper really? reporter, and he Cover, was super nice bro, to me when I was oh, a kid. That's, oh, that's where that. this goes back to. Oh, I've known, I, I've known Mark Stoops since I was 19 years old. Ah, cub reporter, Artie Wasserman, doing some reporting. But, like, I'm not trying to take, a, like, a dump on his resume. That's not what I'm saying. I think Mark Stoops is one of the best coaches in college football for the, the, for the spot that he's in. What I'm saying is that there is a risk involved in hiring a coach who recruits a certain way at a certain level when the places and the way that you need him to recruit elevates at your new job. His job at Kentucky is very much different than it would be at Oklahoma. Not to mention that he is most comfortable recruiting the state of Ohio, which wouldn't be as tenable True. anymore in Oklahoma. So I'm not saying that he wouldn't be good. Maybe he'd go win a national championship there. I don't know. Nobody can can accurately predict who is going to do what? Because look how many coaches are fired every year. It's really, really hard. I'm just saying that there are every bit as many risks with Mark Stoops as there would be for a coach with no coaching experience because it's a different job. I would it hire Mark is. Stoops over Brent Venables if I know Mark Stoops is not on the market. I don't think you're insane for saying that. I'm just saying that Brent Venables not being a head coach is a knock against his resume. And Mark Stoops is a knock against his for not ever recruiting at this level. And I know that he was an assistant at Florida State. So, like, I, I know that he has seen some of it. And I don't think that Mark Stoops would ever be a disaster anywhere. But when you get fired at the level that you get fired, or if you get fired at a level at Oklahoma, you don't get fired for not being pretty good. You get fired for not being great. Fair enough. We are, like, 50 minutes into this. And oh, by the way, Texas A&M got another five star. They got the what number three just now? No, no, no. I'm just saying it with Evan Stewart. Oh. Um, oh. But you wouldn't have been surprised, right? If it happened, I was like, I was like, who was it? Yeah, I was just <laughs> yeah. So Evan Stewart, number three overall, number one, number one wide receiver, former Texas commit from Frisco, Texas. Aggies up to the number three class overall. This number three overall and three in the SEC, just a huge get and another blow to Texas. The fact that he had been committed to Texas that was a while back. Um, so just. In your story today, you predicted was it was was this a hot take? You predicted Texas A&M will end with a number one class. I mean, it just I plugged it into the recruiting calculator and added players that they're going to land. That's a and scorching it puts them take. At number one. <laughs> so yeah, I don't know. They're in, involved with five star safety Jacoby Matthews out of Louisiana, Shamar Stewart out of Florida, Anthony Lucas, who's a top fifty player out of Scottsdale, Arizona, um, edge rusher and I White out of Philadelphia. Um, there are a lot of really good players still on their board, and their class is already insanely good. So I don't know. This is the type of class that you would want to see from Texas. So I don't know if Jimbo Fisher is just a better recruit recruiter or if he's doing something differently, but Texas A&M is kicking Texas's ass. And right they've now. got the five-star quarterback and a lot of talent on the defensive line, which is... Yes, they are really, really good. That's the... And, like, they... I'm very curious of like, you know, how 
And they went eight. And, they went eight changes. and four this year. They went eight and four this year. Yeah, but there's yeah, going to be a lot did. of pressure next couple of years. In college, like nothing stays the same for a long period of time, and it's like it's been the Georgia, Ohio State, Alabama, Clemson show for so long. I wonder, like, if we're on the verge of seeing the USC Texas A&M additions to that show moving forward. Okay, 2024 national title out. game, Texas A&M versus USC. Who you got? It could happen. Like Texas A&M's not doing what they need to do. I mean, sorry, Clemson's not. Right. Can uh, we, te- Texas A&M absolutely is. That was a okay. Mistake. I'd say what, Texas A&M. What's the spread? Three and a half point favorite over USC in the 2024 national title game. I think that it's literally. This is the number one prereq for being a national title contender and they're both going to do it now texas a&m already has it done usc still has to do it texas a&m's class is a national championship caliber class you you recruit like this four years in a row you have a team that's making the playoff and they have a coach who's already won a national championship so i would feel and granted it was the bcs era so they didn't have to go through the playoff but i would feel comfortable that jimbo fisher with the talent and the you know development of these guys would eventually get to that point one thing we talk a lot about, we talk all about in this podcast, is acquiring elite talent and what it does for a program. But if you can't hold on to that talent, what good does it do you? Talking about Maryland football, who made a big splash. That's at, my nut graph for the uh, summer uh, state of the program series. <laughs> at the uh, Last year made a huge splash at this time. Got Terrence Lewis, five-star uh, linebacker who at one point was committed to Tennessee. And then four-star Brandon Jennings, who was committed to Michigan, then Florida State, then signed with Maryland. Both those guys, after their freshman year, are in the portal. Huge blow there. Yesterday they lost their quarterback commit, 2022 quarterback commit, A.J. Swan. Now they're in a position where there's like only two of the top 50 quarterbacks are available, and we've talked about Just say it. Just what? say it. What? I'm not going to say Where's A.J. Swan going, buddy? Come on, give it to him. Where's A.J. Swan ending up? I, we'll find out on signing day, I guess. No, actually, where do you think he's going to end up? I think he's going to Vanderbilt, but that's not the point of this. Okay, I just wanted you to, I just wanted you to say it. He's deciding between Vanderbilt and Arizona. He's, he's, he's uh, going out to make some visits. So. Well, I guess um, if he wants to go to a good academic institution, then he'll probably just end up in the desert. But Yeah, of course. Um, so, But the, the, the class is stuck, and they have had a lot of quarterback attrition the past few years. I remember when you wrote your state of the program over the past, th- this past year, it's like <coughs> so many quarterbacks transfer. We were trying to, you know, I was fact-checking to locate where they actually ended up. So there's really not many other quarterback options now for the 2022 class unless they can get someone to flip. So just in, in like TCU losing Zach Evans, he's a five-star from 2020. It happens. Guys transfer. But it just struck me about Maryland making such a big splash on signing day last year to have those two guys they had a lot of injuries this year underachieved Michael Oxley we know he can bring in talent but he's yet to prove he can coach his tenure at New Mexico was an absolute disaster so I think that's kind of a program worth monitoring what they do down the stretch because again he's been able to bring the guys in but you can't lose them yeah all the juice that I had about the potential of Maryland being good is gone yeah um so that because, you know, it's tough sledding. It's almost like the SEC West. It's tough sledding for Maryland, Rutgers, teams in the SEC, in the Big Ten East. So we had, we had actually a mailbag question about that. Um, where, do you think the, where do you think the trajectory of Michigan State and Penn State with recruiting going forward? Could you see Michigan State leapfrog Penn State as the third best Big Ten East? What, what do you – Ohio State firmly entrenches the number one program, recruiting program, Michigan State – I would say give them the edge over Penn State is number two in both categories. Can Michigan State elbow its way in there from a recruiting standpoint? Who did you just say was number two? Michigan. I guess Michigan's number two. I think Michigan and Penn State. Yeah, that's why I kind of pause. I think Ohio State and then there's Michigan and Penn State are kind of, you can flip flop from a recruiting standpoint. Penn State's probably had better classes more consistently, but Michigan, you know. I'd like to see what Michigan does from here. Um I don't know. Can Penn, the point is, can Michigan State elbow its way in there? I think Michigan State did such a – you know, we were talking a lot about uh, big contracts, $100 million contracts. Can we? Can I say something that might sound controversial and kind of like I'm being a dick, but I'm not trying to be? Sure. Are we sure that Mel Tucker's contract wasn't premature? 
Holy shit, that's a lot of money for somebody who hit the lottery. You're not lottery being a dick at all. That's being That is so much money for somebody who hit the lottery in the portal. Yeah. No, I, I totally agree. It's isn't it's, that like they, all they guaranteed to do it. too? It like they those, are stuck to him. Would they have hired would 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 LSU have hired him? Maybe. I don't know. Would like, they've gone down the Brian Mel Kelly. Tucker done enough? Like, I'm not saying gone, that, would they have gone down the Brian the Brian Kelly? Like if they if you would have asked Scott Woodward, you can hire Brian Kelly, he would say sure, but if, if you believe the reports and are you know, great reporting from our guys on this that that they they checked on him a few weeks ago or a month ago and he was like thanks but no thanks and they kind of went back to him so if they if they had already gone to brian kelly and he's like thanks but no thanks would they have hired mel tucker so th- the point being is like michigan state almost did they have to give him 95 million no they didn't have to give him that much but they had to do something to keep him there but the guy's getting paid like nick saban right, right now it's oh i'm totally with you is he had a great year they, and their recruiting class is somewhere in the 30s right now. They were very fortunate to beat Michigan in that game. Now, they won like, the game. I just wonder, like, if four years from now, they're like, holy crap, what did we do? Yeah. Like, but it also could be great. Like, Mel Tucker could be exactly who he showed us okay, he was this year. We, uh, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I thought that that was an inordinate amount of money for somebody who was relatively new to his position still. Okay. Let me ask you a question. You have every Big Ten East coach. Is sitting is sitting at a uh, a lunchroom table, and you you're a program in the Midwest, not no specific program. You're an AD. Rank the rank the Big Ten East coaches that you would hire in the order. Probably Ryan Day, number one. Although but I he was born on you know he's third base, he was born on third base. He is one and three or one and four in his biggest games at Ohio State. So I'm starting to wonder what it's going to be like in a year from now, because it's funny how somebody can be undefeated in big 10 games until last weekend. But now also people are unsure about how to feel about him. But I think Ryan day being in charge at Ohio state and winning as many games as he has and going to the playoff and playing in a national championship game is probably the clear number one. Number two, if you would have asked me this last weekend, I still think number two would probably be James Franklin. There you go. Although he just got paid $100 million to post five lost seasons in back-to-back years, which is another insane. No, he got paid $100 million to win more in the future. Let me tell you this. You know how your your whole James Franklin USC thing? Yeah. This James Franklin to USC would have been like 7% of how exciting the Riley hire is. Because well, we didn't imagine. Like, no, we no, never, I know. But like, never I, think brought, the, yeah. I think the James Franklin thing – was you envisioning like the best case scenario for a sexiness hire and James Franklin might've been the only person that you could have imagined going there. But like, this is the James Franklin hire times a hundred. What Riley is. Okay. But I'd probably go day Franklin Harbaugh Tucker right now. So that that was, but I would, but if you would have asked me that last week, I would have taken Tucker over Harbaugh. But Harbaugh just beat Ohio State and is going to win a Big Ten championship, so I don't think it'd be fair to pick Tucker right now. Okay. Greg Schiano's not in the top four. I'm not saying he should be. I'm just Greg Schiano is the perfect fit for the program that he's at. I don't great. know if he's a great fit for everywhere. Great. I agree. I agree. Um, and then Tom Allen and Mike Loxley probably. And Tom Allen's a good coach. All right, Loxley wanna, would be last. Yeah, I want to hit on a few more things. We don't necessarily need to talk about them. Just some quick hitting things. Um, feel free to chime in, and then we'll do the, the, the question. Um Lost my spot here. I guess no. Walter Nolan, five star defensive lineman, number one player or number two player in the class. Number two. Number two now. Uh, Texan commits going to Tennessee for an official visit this weekend from Powell, Tennessee, right up the road there. So something to work, something to mind. It's like an official visit, but it's not really official when it's a seven minute drive from where you live. Yeah. I don't think he's going to pay his gas money. How does that work? They give him seven bucks for gas. Whatever they are legally allowed to do, they will do. (laughs) They They will pay him that. Um, yeah, I guess now actually we have uh, – I was going to go over some notes. We've pretty much talked about uh, all the stuff we need to talk about. Um, see, a couple of mailbag questions. We can wait till next week. Okay, you ready for your question of the week? Sure. Okay. Last 10 years, how, oh many, how many different schools have signed a top 10 class? How many different schools in the last 10 years have signed a top 10 class? Yeah. 44. Not even close. 
I mean, it might be 11. I don't know. Like, what, what, what is the... <laughs> it's not 11. What, what, uh, Keep going. I'll give you one more guess. Just No, just tell me. I don't I, I even close. Yeah. I thought that you would ask me that. I was like, I don't know. Like, did Utah signed a weird no. class or UCLA signed a random class? 10 years is a long freaking time. That is a staggering stack, and I want you to send that to me. Because I want to use that next week whenever we put stuff into context. Okay. So you're it's like, what, who were they? The alphabetical order. Alabama, Auburn, Clemson, Florida, Florida State, Georgia, LSU, Miami, Michigan, Notre Dame, Ohio State, Oklahoma, Ole Miss, Oregon, Penn State, Stanford, Tennessee, Texas, Texas A&M, UCLA, and USC. Yeah, that's about right. 44 was a dumbass answer. Yeah. I just like didn't know there are certain teams that. Well, like you know, Stanford had, Stanford had one weird class. UCLA had one weird. Yeah, class. it's like so, Mississippi State might have finished nine one year. Like, you know, I don't know. Like there's like weird. But 44 was stupid. Yeah, that was really dumb. Yeah. Um, I just figured like in 10 years, like things that were a lot different in 2011 than they are now. So, yeah, you know, so. I didn't know if I was just forgetting stuff. But yeah, that's that is interesting. And of all those teams, guess what you won't find? A team that won a national championship that's not on that list. Oh, yeah. I thought, I thought you were asking me which team won a national championship. No, no, no. There, there, yeah, there's, yeah, no yeah. there's no team on that list that didn't win a title. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything else? Anything else on your mind, Ari? Um, I wanted to thank everybody for listening to this. Um we are emerging for at least a month of December from the shadows of the <laughs> paywall. Um, this was a very hectic week. It was a little bit scatterbrained, but we do, you know, a little, like to little more organization usually, not too much. Yeah, week. usually. I mean, this week, who's could be organized? Let's be honest. Um, but we want you to continue to listen to the show throughout the month of December. Um, recruiting is at a high volume, and I don't know if I can promise this because i'm not the producer of the show mike you can correct me after this but maybe we'll try to get an extra episode or two in um just as things ramp up to give you a little bit more flavor of what we're doing here um for those first time listeners we are going to break down recruiting and we will get more into the nuts and bolts of the you know commitments and visits and the news of the week but um we do like to spend a lot of time on philosophical discussions and try to picture into the future and all the things that recruiting can tell us so you know, every week it's kind of a mixed bag. This week was kind of a hectic week for college football in general. So just thanks so much for, you know, bearing with us and giving us a shot if this is your first time. And if this is the time you've already listened to us, we love you. So, um, Mitch, do you have anything else to say or should I just sign off from there? So well said, Ari. Good work. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. That was Stars Matter. Stars Matter.